You are now listening to Carly's Couch. I'm Carly. And I'm Lex. In this podcast, we discuss a wide array of topics about life and how to live your best life. Whatever that looks like for you. Hope y'all enjoy. Hello, how are you guys? Welcome to Carly's Couch. Hi, Carly. Hey, Lex. How you doing? <laughs> Good. Is it weird to be like, hey, girl, how are you? After we'd already been around each other for like a couple hours today. I mean, it just to happened. Do that so for the episode, weird? like, do we have to greet each other for people? That's just know. a random thought I just literally had. Like, know. you know, why not just be like, I don't know. all right, y'all. So here's what's up. I, I don't know. Are you but? But I feel like you're not one of those people, like, when you text, like, that you usually have to have salutations or greetings, it's usually probably just, like, this is what it is. Yeah. But more so, I'm just thinking about, like, why, what's the reasoning to do that, you know? Um, what's the reasoning to greet each other? I get greeting the listeners, like, hi, guys, you know, hope you're doing well. Thanks for listening. I mean, so I guess it's just... Something could have changed. It's like you're doing you formalities with each other for other people. Yeah. That's but also, something could have changed from the last episode to this one, just to see how you're feeling. Yeah. Well, you know, I got attitude last episode. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't realize or know, we tape multiple episodes, um, or at least a couple at a time, uh, so we can get a little bit ahead. Shout out to not missing a week yet. Um, hey, we at 80-something right now. Yeah. Um, so, like, we'll usually get together and bang a couple out. You can usually tell by my hair, like, which ones we did at the same time. <laughs> Um, but we ooh. do change clothes and switch yeah. sides for a little razzle-dazzle. Yeah, we, we switch it up on the fits a little bit um, so you can have something to look at when uh, you check out the YouTube videos. So thanks for those who watch. Thanks for those who listen. Thanks for those who leave reviews and five stars on iTunes as well because that's what's probably most important. So thank you. And if you haven't, please go do so. And if you feel so led, share with a friend. Yeah. Yeah, and we've got a few new uh, YouTube subscribers I noticed as well recently. So um, we're excited for that. So glad to see the community grow, and we hope that you continue to get something out of it. And speaking of um, 80-something episodes, it's starting to find be hard for me to find clothes to wear that I haven't already <laughs> worn on a podcast. Well, you can repeat. Yeah, no, I know. But one day I accidentally repeated the same shirt within like three mm. episodes. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I know. I was like, damn. Um, <laughs> but today, if you're watching the video... If you're not, sorry. But if you're watching the video, I have on a new shirt that I have, which is actually what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, that is nice, though, too. Yeah, super fire. So it's a, a T-shirt, and it says Greenwood Ave. Um, the back says Recording Sessions, and it says Fire in Little Africa 2020. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's amazing. <clears throat> and I think it, it really kind of sets the tone for what we'll be discussing today. Um, recently, I went back home to Oklahoma, um, before all the pandemic things hit. So it was right before they started canceling everything. And I'm so, so grateful and so glad that they did not cancel this trip because I have been so excited about going back to Oklahoma, which I normally never am. Mm. I'm always like, oh, I've got to go back to Oklahoma. You know, it's great to see family, but like there's just not a lot to do in Oklahoma. But this particular trip um, was incited by like my friend Stevie. Uh, his name is Dr. Stevie Johnson. He's phenomenal. He's a DJ. He's a doctor. He's just an all-around great person, but he now resides in the town or Tulsa, Oklahoma. And um, he works for uh, the Kaiser Foundation on a few levels with um, like the Woody Guthrie Center and the Bob Dylan Center. So they have, um, it's a, the Kaiser family is from Tulsa 
and they spend all of their philanthropic dollars in Tulsa, like to bring up the area and different things. And so those are museums and centers that they have. And he recently accepted a position out there and so moved his whole family um, out there and sent me an email one day and was like, hey, fam, check your email. And I'm like, okay. And it says a fire in Little Africa at the top of my email. And I'm like, what is this? And I start reading through and I was just absolutely blown away um, by the thought and the detail in the email. And it's about um, the 100th anniversary of Black Wall Street um, is next year in 2021. And A Fire in Little Africa is a hip hop compilation project with a documentary, an album, and just a general, I would call it a renaissance in my words, not theirs, for um, the Tulsa area through arts, through hip hop, through everything that they're doing to rebuild Black Wall Street or the Greenwood District, which is why the front of my shirt says Greenwood Ave. Um, and so I guess I'll start it with Lex. Have you ever heard of Black Wall Street? Mm-hmm. When did you hear about it or how and what like capacity? Mm, I don't remember. Probably in school at some point, maybe high school or college. Um, yeah, I don't really remember. Like nothing with Black history or African American history is um, like necessarily like instilled from school at particular times. And then mm-hmm. my family, um, I think what I learned like through family, et cetera, is more regional from you know around my area or with the history of my family, which is also international as well. And so um, I don't remember when exactly I heard about it, but um, I'm familiar with it. Um, and if for, if y'all don't know, Alexi is from North Carolina. I'm from Oklahoma. And so I learned about Black Wall Street whenever I was a senior in high school. I was in AP English, and we read a book. I'm surprised it was that late. Um, you know Social the, studies, your state is like fourth grade. But you know, the crazy part is um, the first year it will be ever mandatory to teach about mm-hmm. Black Wall Street is next year mm-hmm. in curriculum. And so a lot of districts, a lot of schools do not. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of black people from Oklahoma don't even know about Black Wall Street. I think that's wild. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. And so um, Black Wall Street was uh, much more than a street. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of history and then get into the weekend and then why I'm even talking about what I'm talking about. Um, But what I learned about when I heard about Black Wall Street was that there was a riot that black people and white people were fighting because supposedly a black man attacked a white woman, um, which is a typical excuse to plunder and murder people. Um, and that was pretty much it. It was a riot. It happened like maybe 30 people died or something like that. Um, none of that is true. (laughs) Um, actually Black Wall Street was much more than a street. Uh, it was the Greenwood district. It had about 15,000 people. It was 35 blocks, four square miles. Um, in the state of Oklahoma, there were, I think right before it became a state or right around that time, there were 50 all black townships. And so um, Oklahoma was almost a black state. It was also where the Trail of Tears ended. So there was a lot of Native American people, a lot of freedmen, which were slaves that the Native Mm -hmm. Americans owned that became freedmen after, and they were legally a part of the tribes. Um, And they got land allotments of like 160 acres. So there was just so much land. There was so much opportunity for Native Americans and for black people in Oklahoma. Um, And so there was a big push to get people to move there, which is why the Greenwood District was flourishing in the way that it was. So when you start thinking about like the history at that time in the 1920s, that's like right on the earth, like right on the cusp of like the Great Depression and all the stuff that was happening. But here are these black townships like flourishing and having like, you know, the Cotton Club and these amazing hotels. Like one, I think it said 
the only five-star hotel or something like that, like in the U.S., like one of the top hotels, like all of these things were happening in Oklahoma. And it's just really, and I think- What very, is the time period? 19, this is 1920. Um, like 1921 is when the massacre, the Tulsa race massacre, which is a more appropriate name for it happened. Um, but you know, they were building those townships all around then. And so, um, in 1921, um, the race massacre happened, um, because there is a man named Dickie Rowland and he, I, I believe he was a shoe shiner, but he was just really good at what he did. He was an entrepreneur, and he had special access to this building um, that typically black people couldn't go into. But they told him, like, since you're on this side of town shining shoes, you can use our restroom mm-hmm. at the top floor. And so that's whenever he got into the elevator with the white woman. And um, supposedly they were in a consensual relationship, but people were jealous and said that it was something that it wasn't. And that's kind of what incited the whole massacre. Um, But I also just think like, if you think about where this is, so it's in Oklahoma. Yes, there's all these black townships. There's where the Trail of Tears ended. There's all these black people that are successful, all these Native American people and these white people see this and they're on the verge of depression. Like there was a lot of tension building and things that were happening around then. And so that was just an excuse to, you know, burn down and bomb down the town. Um, And so the first part of A Fire in Little Africa was actually just going to the Greenwood Cultural Center in the Greenwood District to learn about the actual history that happened. Because even being from Oklahoma, I didn't know a lot of these things. I didn't know that the district was so big. I didn't realize that it was set off by Dickie Rowland, who back in the day, he was making so much money that he had a diamond encrusted belt buckle back in the Mm -hmm. 20s, which is like also really cool to think of just because you know, there's so much history that gets left out for people of color, but primarily black people, um, you know, to know that there's so much more than slavery. They're not teaching that in schools. And it's it can be empowering to hear like a different side of history, like to hear that um, even though all of the white people around the area were coming to burn down and take down this district, that everybody took up arms and were protecting their businesses and were fighting back and um, protecting women and children. And that, you know, even four years after that, in 1925, that it was rebuilt. The Greenwood District was completely rebuilt. And thinking about how powerful that is to hear that side of the story as opposed to just like, oh, you know, it got bombed and burned down and that just is what it is. Mm -hmm. And if you're unfamiliar with it, um, the first episode of Watchmen uh, depicts this event and it's very uh, hard to watch kind of because it really like goes in as far as like all the chaos that's going on where people are like fighting in the streets and, you know, shooting at just anybody, et cetera. Um, so that's something to watch if you just want to get some type of a visual uh, to kind of go along with it as well, along with whatever you read. Yeah, exactly. And to do more research, um, I would encourage you to actually go to Tulsa because uh, I actually want to go back and take a tour. The weather in Oklahoma, per usual, was not mm-hmm. being accommodating. And so our outside tour got cut down really small because it started raining. Um, but just, you know, really understanding the intricacies and not just for the pain and the trauma porn and things like that, but to understand the resiliency, the fact that they rebuilt um of the businesses, just to give y'all another like bird's eye view, like of the Greenwood district and this time to put it in perspective, they of the people who actually filed insurance claims um, for their businesses, I think it was around like 2,900,000-ish, like back then. So I think 1921. Dollars the, or what? Dollars, mm. yes. two 2,900,000, like back then. And they said the inflation rate, if you, you have multiplied it by about 30. Mm-hmm. So think about that now. Like, that is wild, like, almost $3 million times 30, like, but back then in the 1920s, like, that is how 
opulent and amazing and beautiful like this whole space was. Um, and it really sets the tone for Tulsa and the history and why it's important to, you know, reclaim and retell these narratives from people who were actually there, from their ancestors, and not just the sanitized version that fits, fits nicely into history books. Mm-hmm. So when you went out there, what were you going to do? So um, A Fire in Little Africa is like this project that the that Stevie, that Brandon, that um, a lot of the people in Tulsa are working on a hip-hop compilation project, like I said, with a documentary, with an album, um, with, I don't even know how to encapsulate it, with so much to reclaim that narrative, but also to create a space where Oklahoma hip-hop, you know, has a platform to connect with people, to tell their stories, but also where the history of Tulsa can be told in a way that honors the legacy of what Tulsa actually is. So is it like a physical center or? Um, there are physical centers, but it's it's more of a it's movement. It's more of a movement, I would say. So um, it's a movement to do that. When I asked Stevie um, to kind of bring, to synthesize it down because it's so much, um, he said that the main goal of it is to provide access uh, for artists to the hip hop industry and utilize, like utilizing the amazing talent that Tulsa has right in Tulsa, like building those infrastructures to help support each other. But also at the core, it's the beginning of people going back to making classic albums reflective of the times to help people reimagine how powerful people of color, but primarily black people are when they come together and learning how to utilize hip hop in a way that pays respect um, to the artists and the activists in each person. So re- really rebuilding this whole mentality, like the Black Black Wall Street may have been demolished and they dropped bombs on it, um, but the mentality never left. The fire never died. And a fire in Little Africa actually came from a photo taken back then that said, you know, Little Africa is burning. Like um, back in the day of the massacre, somebody had taken a picture of all the plumes of smoke and everything and said, oh, Little Africa is burning. And so essentially, you know, the people of Tulsa, the hip hop scene in Tulsa is saying, you know, the fire never went out. The mentality to build up our community to support each other never went out. Like back in the day, they um, a dollar, I think, would circulate 19 times within the black community before it would leave and go somewhere else. And so they're really just building on this black Wall Street mentality of, you know, supporting each other. So when it was rebuilt in 25, what was the difference then? Um, a lot of people like. Some people have moved away. Um, different things that happened. The Great Depression like was about to happen. Like so, the economy took a hit, but also the government um, started doing what the government does and systematically changing things and redistricting things. Eventually, they built a highway right through the middle of the Greenwood District, um, so it kind of kept it from going back to the original glory that it was. Mm. Um, and so we started at the Greenwood Center to, you know, learn about the history of Black Wall Street. Like I said, please go research it. It is so rich. It is so powerful and so, I think, vital to understand just in like a community and ways that people can come together and support each other. But then we also started to tour like new Greenwood. So black owned businesses that they rebuilt in Greenwood and centers and things that they're opening in ways that they're bringing people together. Um, so is it still um, a mostly black area now? Um, it is. It is. The um, the businesses, they got bought up by a lot of people who are not black, mm-hmm. but there are still like all black businesses. And a lot of the families and the people um, who were in Black Wall Street, their ancestors, are, like those are their ancestors. They're still living in Greenwood. 
And so it's it's kind of cool to see. Um, got, like I said, got to tour, got to meet. Like they, we had a meet and greet with a bunch of local um, black business owners just to hear what they're working on and how they're trying to revitalize things. Um, and basically, like I said, reclaiming that narrative of what Black Wall Street is and how we can use that to come together as a community to actually like heal and process trauma. Um, so would you say from the trip, like, were you there to learn? Were you just like inspired from it? Like, what do you feel like was the purpose for you? The purpose um, was to, I think a, f- a few things is to, you know, help inform. So to show us, because a lot mm-hmm. of times Oklahoma is overlooked for a lot of reasons. It, so they're kind of using you guys to be kind of ambassadors. Exactly. For, mm-hmm. So they brought um, they brought in um, a bunch of journalists, a bunch of people from podcasts, for writers, hip hop artists, like people on the scene, like to come in and to see all the things that they're working on, but also to, you know, hear the real story. So instead of watching Watchmen, instead of, you know, that two sentence paragraph um, in our history books, like we actually get to see it in person and hear what really happened from people who were there. Um, and then to also understand like what the hip hop scene looks like and all the things that they're working towards, like as a collective. So I'm inspired and like just much more informed. Like I said, I just left feeling like, wow, like I told them, uh, this is the first time I've ever felt like it's been cool to be from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And I mean that cause normally people are like, Oh, where are you from Oklahoma? Oh man, I've never met anybody from there or oh, Oklahoma. That's cool. Oh man, you from Dallas. And people get really hype about people being from different geographical locations but this is the first time people are like oh man you from Oklahoma oh man that's what's up what part Mm -hmm. so I told Stevie um that he's making it cool to be from Oklahoma again (laughs) and the funny part is you know this stuff has already been there and he's actually from Texas which I find even funnier um that he's been there but the overall experience was to bring people in and to help make them ambassadors but to show us all of the work that they've been doing, all that, you know, that this fire never went out, that it never died. And, you know, creating this narrative in a way that tells the story from the people who were there, but also opens up the discussion and brings more attention to what they're doing. Who are these people who were there if this is in 1921? Hmm? Who are the people who were there? What do you mean? You're talking about people who were there? I was like... talking about from the weekend. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about like people telling their stories from the from the Tulsa Massacre. Well, they actually like, did. Mm-hmm. So the Greenwood Center has um, stories from all the survivors, mm-hmm. and you can like hear they recorded them, okay. like of people actually telling their stories. So I don't know if that's on their website, but at the actual Greenwood Cultural Center, like you can mm-hmm. go and then see pictures of the survivors, and they either wrote out or you know some video recorded what they remember and how they felt and what was happening. Mm-hmm. So actually, like direct um, impact from people who were there, but. Um, in a fire in Little Africa, currently they brought all of us in, like I said, journalists, podcasters, like people who are on the scene to be a part of this weekend to show us, you know, what they're working on, what they've been working on, to tell us the history, and then also to bring us into the future of what they're working towards. So it's an ongoing, like, organization that's just doing different things in the community? hmm Yep. They do um, a lot of different stuff. They... They support each other um, through everything. We went to a couple of music venues. There's actually a lot of historical venues in Oklahoma. Like I said, I'm really surprised because I'm from there and never knew. Like Kane's Ballroom mm-hmm. is like a is like a world renowned music mm-hmm. venue. Had no idea mm-hmm. that it was there. Um, Sound Pony, which is also like a really cool music venue and really great on like the smaller circuits. Like didn't know it was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got the opportunity to hear a lot of Tulsa artists um, and to hear the people who you know created the sound. Got to meet the people who actually started the hip hop movement in Oklahoma, like that first recorded a CD back in the day um, in Oklahoma and like where they're trying to take it in the future. So what is the sound of Tulsa and like what's important about like hyping 
you know, the hip hop out of a region like for them? Um, I think it's important. So the sound of the sound of it is a lot for me, a lot of community, a lot of love and a lot of like paying homage to ancestors that paved the way. Um, the sound is different. It's not um, a cohesive sound, but I would say it's, it's a mix of a lot of Southern like love and typical things um, with like older samples and mm-hmm. kind of how Crit floats on a beat to me is how some of the artists sound. But um, there's also some that sound like Ninth Wonder and that sound like different people from all over. I think it's important to bring access and awareness because this is truly such a historically rich area and um, it's an unestablished scene, like it's an untapped resource. And so I think it's important to you know bring awareness and to create foundations so that they also can tell their stories and share all of the amazing things that they're doing. And um, I would even venture to say that their hip hop is much more purpose driven than a lot that's currently out there because every artist that I met, everybody, um, cause we got to go to recording studios and hear what they're working on and see things and, you know, to see the cultural center that is a museum during the day turned into a recording studio at night and people walking around with violins and saxophones hopping on tracks mm-hmm. and doing different things. Um, they, you know, say that they're tra- they're doing it for not just their families, not just for their community, but for humanity. Like trying to be very intentional with mm-hmm. this community mindset and how they're bringing things together. That's pretty cool. I'd like to know who some of the artists are. I don't know if you know. Oh yeah, no, I have a list. Um, so Play You One Thousand um, actually are the first. It was like the first group, I believe. And let me not let me not lie, because I have all my notes um, in my phone and that I was taking down. But I believe they're the first group that actually mm-hmm. recorded one, and we got to meet both of them in person. They're recorded both recorded one what though? Like an what? album, like a hip hop album. They were the first people to book um, like studio time mm-hmm. and to record hip hop in the state of Oklahoma. Okay. Which is really cool. Um, and then some current um, artists, Steph Simon, who was one of my favorites, um, Dial Tone, St. Dominic, MC, Thomas Who, who is actually from Oklahoma City, and then um, Jacoby Ryan. Some people just, we had opportunity to see a lot of them perform, to hear a lot of their stories about, you know, how they got into hip hop. Oh, First Verse, who's amazing. Um, we got to see, like I said, a lot of them perform, a lot of them talk about their writing process. There was a live podcast interview um, from Bottom of the Map. It's a hip-hop podcast that's sponsored by NPR. They did a live podcast with them, and we got to ask questions. One of the radio personalities did a live panel interview with some of the artists and, you know, talking about, you know, do they want to stay in Oklahoma? Or if they do, why? And if not, you know, why? And people figuring out, like, if I want to make it as an artist, like, do I have to leave Tulsa? Like, do I just have to go to a bigger market? Or if I don't want to leave Tulsa, like, how can I still scale what I'm doing and bring stuff back to the community if, you know, my family's here and I don't want to leave? Mm-hmm. And so do you think that hinders them by being so Tulsa-oriented? Because why would I ever reach out to listen to that? Um, I, I think that's an interesting question. I think... I think it's almost like you're saying I'm okay being regional and I'm okay being here, which I don't know, might be a a thing to accept. But if there's some other message that, you know, you think you want to express to get to, sorry, bigger audiences or wider audiences, then yeah, it makes sense to be in those bigger spaces. Agreed. I think, I think the answer is somewhere in between. I think um, right now, you know, how it stands with the access that is in, Oklahoma, which is, you know, not that much yet, um, they do have to venture into bigger markets. And if that looks like maybe opening up for bigger, like, acts and then, you know, just coming back, if that means moving, I think that kind of differs person to person. But the cool part is all of them seem so 
community oriented, like wanting to pour back into that. And so the question is like, well, how can I scale and get bigger while also pouring very much into something that I love? And I don't know if there's an I answer. I feel like that's easy because why doesn't a lot of artists, like you know where they're from because when they get bigger now, yeah, Big Sean can put on for Detroit because everybody knows him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so you have the space to do that. Same with um, like in, in your professional life or success where it's like, um, yeah, you can stay small, but being bigger, making more allows you to give back more. So I would, um, I would say that probably part of this program was because they want to you know, you guys to really learn about it and be excited as you are and then go out and spread and talk about it so that maybe other people do listen they might get into it. Um, I suggest all of you guys, like, check out some of these artists um, and look into, um, what, Greenwood? Uh, yeah. I'm about to say, am I about to say it wrong? Uh, you got into the Greenwood, Greenwood District. District and all of that for themselves. And I think that's maybe the purpose is that you do have to expand beyond mm-hmm. your community. Otherwise... You know, you lived there and didn't know about the stuff. So it's like you have to be looking for and you have to be out there um, to tell other people to look at this or to make them think like, oh, what's this about you? Where are you from? Yeah. And and I I think some of them do actually like, you know, want to leave and be able to do that. Um, but I was well, like I said, what I was struck by was just how everybody really is tied into like so much into like where they're from and wanting to rebuild. It's not like I'm just trying to go to LA and make it. It's like, no, I want to go to LA and then come back and then bring access and resources to these people. Um, And just the community, I think it's also cool in the hip hop scene and being something like that because it is such an untapped market that there's a lot more freedom. There's a lot more opportunity to help build each other up. Like they um, were talking about how they barter for everything. Like people hopping on people's tracks for stuff. They're wearing their own merch. Mm -hmm. They're wearing stuff that they make. Like everybody was wearing somebody else's stuff, but it was all about like, what is this legacy that we're leaving and how can we as a community come together and build this thing and push it forward, Mm -hmm. which was really, really awesome. You know, so what did you gain from that as far as thinking about um, groups and people and how they work together? Like, what do you take away from that to make you um, say, this is how I want to approach something for myself or how how I'm moving or whatever you want to bring attention to with your life? So um, have you seen the documentary on YouTube for Revenge of the Dreamers 3? Mm-hmm. Like the Dreamville documentary. So it's like a 30-minute documentary that they did, um, and it's about how they made Revenge of the Dreamers. J. Cole has said... Like, you know, because he wasn't, no features, like that joke, but him, he was like, man, I don't want to look up and realize I didn't work with all these people just because. Mm -hmm. And so he decided to bring all these people together to create these sounds by putting, it's like a mastermind in a sense of putting all these people who wouldn't typically be in the same room together to see what else y'all can create and to create Mm -hmm. new things. And I was always struck by that. And Stevie had mentioned that while we were there, he was like, you know, we're doing what they did. He was like, but with intention, you know, to save the community, to save humanity, to work on making the world a better place. Like it's about more than just music. And so in my head, it's like, you know, how can I bring all of these people together? Like, even if they have seemingly disparate skills, disparate, like, um, like different connections, different things so that we can all collectively, you know, work on building this like tribal mentality to help build each other up and edify everyone else, but also to further the causes and the community in ways that make sense. Um, something that he said was something that Stevie said was like hip hop edifies and builds and it's the hottest thing right now. Um, like cultural IP wise that, you know, music, it really is. It kind of drives everything. And so that is a vehicle that allows them to tell their story and to do these things. So that's like what he sees as that. And so for me, it's just, you know, how can I, 
be as intentional with my gifts, with the way that I'm bringing people into my life, with the way that I create brave spaces for people to work together and flow together so that we can help the collective. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's good. Um, I feel like that's something that you already had in mind, maybe, though. Yeah, it, it definitely is synchronistic. Um, I'm going to be real. I was trying to get Stevie to move to L.A. Mm-hmm. so he could be a part of all of this stuff. But he said it was his spirit that really got him to move back to Tulsa. And when he told me he's moving to Tulsa, at first I was like, in my head, like, why? Mm -hmm. Because normally people from Texas hate on Oklahoma. So I thought it was an interesting choice for him, um, regional beef. But when I got there and I just felt it, it, I feel like I might not, I feel like I might even be doing Tulsa disservice right now because I'm not able to explain how magical the place was and how magical that moment is to see so many people giving their heart and soul to a movement, to make something better, to tell this story, to tell this narrative. Um, And it is something that I'm working on, but I left feeling so much more inspired and and challenged, I think, in ways to do better and to do more and to think bigger for all of the dreams that I have. And what is your continued, like, work with them or follow-up with them? Um, I don't know yet. I know that I'm supporting anything that they do. I definitely, like I said, have on this, looking to, looking to buy some more merch from them and support those things. Um, like I said, they have an album coming out soon. They, it is a movement. It is continuous. They will have merch. They have all these things to help tell this story. Um, I will definitely be writing a blog on it later. Um, told CB I was doing this podcast because I'm still super excited. Like I said, I've never been so excited to go back to Oklahoma and excited coming back, like leaving feeling like this. But also, like, thinking about health and wellness. So how does health and wellness play? Because even when I saw the Dreamville documentary, I was like, damn, they needed a yoga teacher. Like, I should have been there. Like, I could have been doing breath work and stuff with them. Um, And I got to teach some mindfulness exercise and some breath work to some of the artists and to some of the other journalists and people there. And it was really beautiful for me. So I'm thinking about, you know, how can I help in a wellness capacity if if that's programming curriculum, if that's me just doing program development and teaching them ways to, you know, be more mindful with their bodies, like, you know, what does what can that look like? So I'm still kind of working through and it. And do you see yourself going back to Oklahoma or staying in Oklahoma as far as being called to focus your work there? No. I think that, I, I not for me, but I wouldn't mind, like, splitting time there. Like, I met someone who splits her time between New York and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So she does, like, three weeks in New York, one week in Oklahoma or something like that. And I was like, you know, that wouldn't. Like, I, I could probably do that, um, but I, I probably want to live a bi-coastal or bi-place lifestyle anyway, so not, like, not spending all of my time in one place. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see that in my future. Um, moving back, no, but if you are a remote worker, they have amazing opportunities where they will pay you to do your remote work in the state of Oklahoma because mm-hmm. um, they... The Kaiser family and just a lot of the initiatives are really about, you know, rebuilding that area, telling that narrative, and creating opportunities in a space that's really beautiful. Um, we even went to, like, uh, now they have one of the best parks in the whole world in Tulsa, and it's because of the Kaiser family. It's like a $500 million mm-hmm. park where everything is free for all the families who come. They even send, like, transportation to different neighborhoods so that everybody has access. Like, even if you don't have a mm-hmm. car, you can feed a family of four for, like, $20, like, at this park and check what out. What kind of park are we talking about? It's, like, this huge Green outdoor park. park. Okay. No, but they have, like... Like um, a recreational space? Yeah, like a recreational mm-hmm. space where there's, like... Um, like, it's almost like an indoor-outdoor co-working space, but lots of, like, restaurants. There's a museum. There's this lake. There's a river. There's, like, all this cool stuff where you can do. But they're really, you know, building up that area to bring people back. Mm-hmm. You keep saying bring people back. And why? I don't understand why are people gone. Like, 
What are we still? We're like still trying to get the place popping. Is that what we're saying? Since twenty um, one. Mm, yeah, that's what it sounds kinda. like. It's like all right, like I'm trying to get it popping, trying to get people here. Like, why aren't people there? Well, because it's like the same reason when people are like, "Oh, you're from Oklahoma," because it's. I mean, mm-hmm. you just don't hear about it, and what you hear is not necessarily mm-hmm. great or advantageous things if you're thinking about being innovative or forward focused. And I think that is one of the underlying messages of the trip is like, you know, Tulsa has something to say, whether it's hip hop, whether it's innovation, whether it's, you know, making the world a better place and that they're saying it mm-hmm. and that, you know, the world needs to pay attention because they're, and if not, they're going to make them pay attention soon. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing, hearing, however it, it comes out. Yeah. Like I said, I hope that I did them justice. I really want y'all to check them out um, and to support the things that they're doing. Shout out to Stevie, um, Dr. Johnson, Dr. Stevie Johnson for putting this together, Brandon Odom for helping be our tour guide and bring all of that, um, those things. And then I want to read a quote by Dr. Rico Wright. He has a museum like right there on Greenwood. Um, and this is from his collection right now, which is like a healing collective. And it says, by fully understanding our shared history, we can recognize our individual and collective connections to the healing that our community needs. In this way, healing becomes a path to unity, whereupon the oppressed and the oppressor liberate themselves and find harmony. And I think when we're thinking about history um, and why there's a lot of talk about, well, why people don't just get over it? That was 100 years ago. It's like, well, how do you process something that hasn't been talked about, that nobody has really agreed upon, that nothing has been done about? Like, it's this cycle of learning to heal, but ultimately the goal is to help build each other up and build up our community. And so that's really my takeaway. Those are really my takeaways is that, you know, Oklahoma has something to say that they're saying it and that they're so community focused, so driven to make, make it for them, for each other, but also to, you know, make the world a better place. Like how can I not leave feeling super inspired? And um, the shout out is to check out their website, fireandlittleafrica.com. They have merch, they have, access to all of the artists. I'll put a few of their names in here so you can check them out too. I already found me a few good jams. Um, shout out to Seth Simon. One of them has a Kirk mm-hmm. Franklin sample that I cannot stop playing. He was teasing me. He's like, oh man, you found my church song. And mm-hmm. I was like, and I cannot stop playing it. Um, but just shout out to them for such an amazing time and showing me you know, other facets to where I grew up and why it's so special. Cool. Um, so shout out to you guys. We want you all to check them out. Do you have a question of the week? Um, so I'm going to ask a question of the week. Um, if you could, what one thing would you disinvent? Oh, one thing. Mm. What one thing would I disinvent? Oh, man. Look, I'm trying to think. Too, I'm like, do you have an answer? Because uh... um, trying to think of something that's annoying. Same. But then that also have, they doesn't have purposes. Purpose. Yeah, yeah, that's what I say. That doesn't <laughs> serve a purpose. Um, something that we don't need that is annoying, or they just don't like the people do or use. <laughs> this might be the first time we've been stumped for question of the week. Eighty some episodes. Something I'm actually that's something to be pretty proud of. It's got to be something. Something that pollutes the world or something. Dang, how different would the world be, though, if you disinvented, like, anything technological or... Um, Dog. Yeah, because I was thinking, I was like, pollution, factories, but then wait, we wouldn't have anything. 
I mean, you would. We would just be on chill mode, like, not with as many options. Um, I don't know, but I'll tell you since we don't think anything. I was thinking the other day about, um, it's not really an invention, but while riding in the car, I was like, man, they should have, or why don't they have, um, like, the driver, driving school cars have both um, the pedals and the steering wheel on both sides. It's like, why don't by now they have a thing where I could just be in the passenger side, click the button, and now my steering wheel comes up because it's like, yo, can you get the wheel for a second? I got to do something or like, all right, I'm tired. And instead of getting out and switching, like it just come out and like I can just drive from this side because cars, British cars or anything that's British Commonwealth is left side of the street and the other side of their car anyway. So it's not like it can't be on that side. So Mm -hmm. I wondered about that. Like, is there a way we can make like you could drive from either side of the front? That's pretty cool. I hadn't thought about that. Without it being like bulky in the way if it just went in and went out. Um, yeah. yeah. That'd be a good invention. If I, I would just wonder why we can't teleport yet. But at this point, like with the pandemic, like that would just mm-hmm. be a lot more problems than. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. But if there are anything that um, y'all can think of that would be great to disinvent, like hit us, I would like to know because now my brain is like trying mm-hmm. to think of something. Yeah, you're going to see a bunch of stuff now through the rest of the day. Yeah. Like, damn, I should have said it. that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, y'all. Well, thanks for listening. I'm still super hype about, you know what I'm saying, being from Oklahoma and all the amazing things that are going on in the town. Good. And we want you guys to check that out. Listen to us next week. We'll be back. Bye, y'all. Bye.